Well, I've known for a couple of months now that this is where we were headed, and uh, man, I've just been praying for it. I've been praying for uh, marriages that I know. I've been praying for what God's going to do. Um, and, and here's the thing, as we think about the vows, and vows have changed over the year. They kind of change language, but, but I want to read to you traditional vows. It says, I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. I think it's really interesting that in these vows that it says from this day forward twice. Twice. It's saying that no, no matter what happens, no matter uh, what our days look like from today, I'm choosing to, to live these things out with you. Now, I don't know what your uh, marriage looks like. I don't know if you are married. I know not everyone is in the room. Specifically, if you are married, um, let, let me just say something. This, this idea of from this day forward means it doesn't matter what last month looked like, last year. It doesn't matter what the years have looked like. Maybe you've gone through some difficult days. But what if, what if today... What, what if from this day forward, you, you join with me, you join with a bunch of other people to commit to these five things we're going to talk about over the next five weeks? From this day forward, we will commit to doing these things. Now, uh, let me help you just a little bit, and I'll talk about this more in just a second. Uh, it's okay if you're not married and you're here. We're going we're gonna to hopefully all take something away from this series, um, but we are going to put an emphasis on marriages. And it's interesting for the vows, you know, vows always take place. I've done uh, lots of weddings. I've been in weddings. Uh, I, I know that, that at some point in a ceremony, these vows are given. Uh, but a lot of other things look different. And I thought, how, what, did, what did it used to look like? What, what did attire? So I found some fun pictures I thought we'd look at just real quick of uh, some great uh, wedding couples. And I um, love the mustache on uh, that guy. Uh, next, next picture. Uh, the, the two people on your left look extremely happy uh, that, they're, uh, that they're now married. And then on the other side, you have these sundresses and these hats. And it's just things change. And then you have this one. This is the best. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, who here was married in the 80s? You got married in the 80s. Yes, I'd love to see your pictures if you, uh, you want to share those uh, with me. And then you have mine, uh, which... Um, yeah, I have hair, and that's always, it's so funny. It's like, whoa, you did have hair at some point. Yeah, right. I haven't been bald forever. Uh, I, did have, I did have hair. Uh, I got married here. It was amazing. I, uh, my wife grew up kind of in this church, and uh, we, we got married here in this building. And so it's almost surreal for me to, to talk about marriage and to teach on this, knowing just, just a few feet back, I made this promise just about 12 and a half years ago. That, that I was choosing that day, you know, to love my wife from, from that day forward. Uh, we had these moments in our wedding. Uh, the video is great. I, I had a hard time looking at my wife while we exchanged vows and everything. I was so nervous, and I didn't want to cry. And I did this weird thing with my thumb. I just rubbed her hand like the entire service. Uh, we, uh, right back here, we had a unity candle set up, and we go back to light the unity candle and when we go to do it, uh, our candles flood the wick of the unity candle. 
And so I'm back there trying to get the, the uh, wax away from the wick, and it never lit. So, so we never lit our, our unity candle. So we have these moments from, from our wedding that we'll never forget. But, but it doesn't matter what happened in the ceremony. It, it really doesn't matter what vows we exchanged. When I do weddings and I talk to our the couple that I'm performing, I say, you know, the, the vows are great, but it's what you do after today. It's living out these vows that, that really matter. That, that's what matters most. And I know because I've done weddings and I saw my own wedding, there's a huge investment that goes into weddings. You've probably all been to a wedding and you, you've seen that. It costs a lot of money. There's a lot of time and energy. There's a lot of arguments uh, that happen leading up to a wedding. There's a ton of time that goes into it. There's an investment that takes place for that day. A couple decides to get married. They go down to Clayton. They pay, I think it's $58 to get a, a marriage license, and they get married. There's no class. There's no test that they have to take. There's really no preparation for it. It just happens. But, but even though it's not hard to get married, being married is hard. It's hard. It's not easy, and so what I hope you hear is there's not going to be this simple way to a great marriage. I'm going to give you some principles, I'm going to give you some insight, and hopefully we'll be able to take some things away uh, from this series, but, but it's not easy, and the, way, the reason it's not easy is because you're a difficult person. You are. I'm a difficult person, we're broken people, and so two broken people come into a relationship, and we think, oh, this is going to be perfect and wonderful and then we live life together and he seems lazy at times and isn't driven and she seems to nag about everything (laughs) okay let me say this real quick um no pointing in this series no response we want our marriages to uh to get better and so uh you can think things and feel things but maybe not point out things right but it's hard and you get married and there's fireworks, good fireworks, bad fireworks. I mean, there's, there's all these emotions that take place. But you bring two broken people into a relationship. It's not going to be easy. And we all know that. You, if you have a job, you, you know what that's like at your job. You have friendships. You have your own family. R- relationships are difficult. But I do believe that marriage is one of those things that God has ordained, and it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of what God does, that two broken people really can come together and live this beautiful life with one another. Even though they're broken and even though they're messed up, it is possible. Now, I I do know that uh, this series is going to be extremely difficult for a lot of people. And I know it's going to be difficult because marriage has impacted all of us in lots of different ways. Uh, you're here, and you are a child of divorce. Uh, I, I am. I was a teenager when my parents separated and got divorced, so I know what that looks like. I know the pain and the destruction. I know the regret. I know all these emotions that come along with divorce. And so you're maybe here, and you're a child of divorce, and you think, I never want to get married, or I never want my marriage to look like that. And so you bring that into this series. Some of you have been through a divorce. Some of you maybe are going through a second divorce. Let me just say this. Uh, You're not an outcast here. 
Uh, we don't look at you and think that you are messed up. Uh, we, we believe that we technically are all messed up, and this is a place for, uh, for each one of us, no matter what our story looks like. But, but just, just please hear me. Please hear me. The church often likes to point out and single things out that people have done wrong. Um, and so we invite you to be here. We welcome you here. We, we love that you're here, even if you have gone through a divorce. And I know this series may be difficult. Uh, it may be hard. There may be all these emotions and memories that come up. I, I pray that you'll press into it, that you won't um, avoid it. That maybe it, it increases the conversation with someone. Maybe you've never really forgiven. You've never really healed from it. Maybe, maybe this is that opportunity to do that. Uh, some of you, you see your marriage and you think, man, uh, we're not far from there. You're struggling. You feel like it's dead or dying. And you're thinking, man, I hope something happens here that, that maybe this will be what can rescue, redeem, save our marriage. Uh, I believe that's possible too. Now, some of you, I think, maybe one day want to be married. You've never been married. You think, yeah, it'd be great to be married one day. Maybe you've been divorced. You think, maybe I'd like to get married again. Students specifically, uh, listen to what we talk about through the series. I, I really believe it can set you up for um, success. But to me, you want to hear what I think the most dangerous situation is? I think the most dangerous marriage situation is the one who has become stagnant. I, I think it's the one where you feel like, yeah, I got a roommate. That there's not much there that emotionally we're not connected Physically, we're not connected. Spiritually, we're not connected. We just kind of coexist. We live together. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things because we understand that divorce is not good and we understand that all these things that come with it aren't good. But, but look, that's not the picture of marriage for you, to just be roommates. For myself, I don't want to grow old and look back and think, man, I made it 65 years. I made it. And we were roommates. So my hope is that for many of you, you have a good marriage. I want it to become great. And I really believe that God can do that. I really believe that, that over the next couple of years, I hope that many of us will look back and think, man, that series changed my life forever. Not because of me, but because you, you begin to believe maybe what God was instructing us to do and how to live life. And I think all of us want our relationships to be better. So it's not just marriage, but, but I do believe each one of us want relationships to grow and to heal and to be better. And so I hope that happens through this series. Now, one other thing that I know makes it difficult about this series, and, and this is ladies. I don't know of any men that, that are in this category, but, but ladies, you're here alone. You come by yourself. And, and I understand that. And so I specifically, I've been praying for you. Uh, Paul, at one point in Romans, says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, so in this series, I know it's going to be easier to go towards maybe your spouse and think, oh, if they just heard this, if they would just do this, everything would look better. But, but let's, the, the Bible is not uh, binoculars, so the Bible is not used to look at everyone else, but it's a mirror to look at ourselves. And so... I hope that we'll all do that, but I just want to encourage you, uh, ladies, if you're here alone, I've been praying for you. I continue to pray for you, and I have hope for you, uh, and, and I know what you want 
because I've talked to many of you. I know you want your spouse here, and so that is my prayer for you. Now, the only reason I really do this and, and believe that marriages can be healed and whole and saved is because that's what Jesus was about. It doesn't matter if it's an encounter with Lazarus, who is dead, who he speaks words and he comes back to life, or the paralytic who seems to be dead and has no life and he speaks word and gives him a new life. If it's a man who's blind and Jesus forms this mud and rubs on his eyes and gives him new life, this is what Jesus is about. And ultimately, this is what his life ends up looking like, that Jesus dies and comes back to life. And so I think Jesus is going to bring life to us and going to bring life to your marriage. Now, I'm no expert. Okay, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a marriage therapist. And you might be thinking, well, why should I listen to this guy? Has he really experienced enough of life to, to really talk about marriage? And so just, just I just want to let you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of stuff when it comes to marriage. I read a ton. If there's anything to read about marriage, I want to read it. I listen to as many people as I can listen to. Again, I know what it's like to see a marriage broken from, from my own parents. I know what that looks like. I, I've been married 12 and a half years. And to be honest, it's been really good. And I know the things that have set us up to succeed. And I care deeply about it. I care deeply about your marriage. And so if you're here today and you're not married, uh, you should too. You should too. You should care about the marriages around you. We, we should want the best for our friends who are married and our families who are married. So you may not be married, but, but maybe this gives you some resources. Maybe this gives you an opportunity to have conversation with some people who are struggling. And you can say, look, this is what I'm learning. This is what I heard. Maybe, maybe this would help. Maybe you pass along the video teaching. But maybe this is an opportunity for you to bring someone here as well. And so you play a, a, a role in all of this. And then next week, we're actually going to start a discussion group. So next Sunday night, it's in your bulletin, we're going to have a discussion group, and we're going to talk about what we've been talking about. I decided not to start tonight since it's the Super Bowl, and I thought that would not be good for your marriage. Uh, or my marriage, uh, yeah, is uh, not to start that tonight. And so we're going to start this uh, discussion group next week. I'd love for you to come. Uh, just so you know, we're using this resort, uh, resource called From This Day Forward. It's by a guy uh, named Craig Groeschel. He leads a large church uh, really all over North America. Uh, he's kind of been a mentor to me from a distance. I don't know him, but I read from him. I watch uh, as much as I can. And uh, I heard him teach on this years and years ago. And, uh, and so he's going to give us kind of a skeleton to where we're headed, and I'm going to add the, the flesh and the meat uh, to where we go. Uh, there's five commitments we're going to look at. Five commitments, uh, if you want to write these down, if you take notes. Uh, I often say this, this is one of those series that you're going to think, oh, what did he say, or what am I supposed to do? And so there should be something around you can write on, uh, but you might want to do that. But week one, we're going to talk about, that's this week, seek God. These five commitments that we're going to commit to from this day forward, number one is to seek God. Number two is to fight fair. You're going to fight in relationships. Uh, you have to learn how to fight well. Uh, the third week, we're going to uh, talk about having fun. Uh, the fourth week, stay pure. And the fifth week, never give up. Uh, would you pray with me as we head into uh, to this week? God, thanks for um, this morning. Uh, I, I pray for uh, the couples who are here today, those who feel like they're roommates, who feel like they have a good marriage, 
uh, but they want more. Uh, I pray for my friends who have gone through a divorce. I pray that they'd feel loved this morning, that they'd feel encouraged, that they know this is a place where they can belong. I pray for those who want to be married one day, that this will be something they learn and they hold on to and will have an impact on them for the rest of their lives. God, would you use today, would you use today to help us move uh, into better relationships and that we choose today from this day forward that our lives will look different. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It was 1996, and a movie came out. It was a young sports writer uh, named Jerry Maguire. Anybody seen the movie, Jerry Maguire? Uh, Tom Cruise, pre-crazy Tom Cruise, uh, is in this movie. Uh, Renee Zellweger is in it with him, and they get in this relationship, and they have these struggles. And then there's this moment in the movie where he shows up, and he's trying to win her back, basically, and it's a room full of women. And he has this line that he delivers to her. You... Complete me. You complete me. He delivers this line and she comes back with, just shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello, right? It was this moment between them and and this idea of completing him. Now here's the deal. There's all kinds of movies. We could pull from all different uh, romantic comedies. You can go back years in the past to, to famous romantic movies. And here's the deal that always comes from that. It's this idea that they found the one. They found the one. You, you complete me. Everything I've ever wanted, everything I've ever needed, everything that will make me happy, I have now found in you. So let me say this. This is dangerous. When I was a youth pastor, we would talk a lot to our boys about pornography. And the reason that pornography is so dangerous is because it's a fantasy. It's not true. It's not real. Well, well, I also began talking to our girls, and I I knew what they were reading and watching. And I said, look, what you're reading and watching also is not true. It's not real. And so if this is your picture of what marriage is going to look like, you're going to be let down. And so so we believe these things that are, are fake, but we carry them. And so... Then we begin living life and we start thinking, if I could just find the one, right? You begin dating someone and you go back and they, your friends ask you how it was and you say, I think I may have found the one. And what we're saying there is I think I've found the one that will fix me and make me whole and, and satisfy everything I've ever looked for. This idea of this one soulmate. Now, I have uh, worked with students as they begin dating, and I'm always worried about them as they start dating relationships in high school, and oftentimes they end up getting hurt. And I have a, a, a teenage relationship I've helped in the past, and they were working through things, and they were just at the beginning of this relationship. And I said, look, you need to talk about it. You need to talk about where you're headed. And so they did, and I, I followed up with both of them, and I was like, you know, how's it going? How's it going? And the one thing they both said independently is they they said, we want to bring God into this relationship from the beginning. But they also said, we we want to make sure that we're not looking to the other person to fully satisfy us. These were young teenagers. These were young teenagers who are really setting themselves up for success. Whether the relationship pans out or not, whether they get married or not, they're, they're setting themselves up because they're understanding that there is nobody 
It doesn't matter how great your spouse is. There is nobody or nothing that can fully satisfy you. And we look for it. And so we elevate, if you are married, you, you elevate your spouse to this position. And you have these expectations, usually unrealistic, of them. Uh, we're going to look at a passage this morning uh, of Jesus. Uh, it's found in Matthew. This is a, an account of what happened by a guy named Matthew. Uh, Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were outcasts, not uh, ever really respected, never trusted. And, and Jesus comes along and he calls this guy Matthew to follow him. And so Matthew gives an account of what he saw and lived out with, with Jesus. And so we're going to see this moment. It's found in Matthew 22, 34 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. Uh, we'd love for you to take that. That's our gift um, to you. Matthew 22, 34 through 39. Again, feel free. Circle things, write on it, do, do whatever you need to do. It says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are two religious groups. They held really strong to the law. They would have been uh, of the Jewish faith. Verse 35. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now what's happening here is that they're referring to the Ten Commandments. Whether you grew up in church or not, I'm guessing you've heard the Ten Commandments. And so these guys are saying, look, what's the most important of all of these commandments? What, what is most important? And they're anticipating, you know, is Jesus going to say, don't lie, don't steal? Is it keep uh, Jesus, God, as, as first, not to have other, uh, other idols? That they're wondering. And so then Jesus responds with this, to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He honestly could have said, make God one. Make God number one in your life. So we looked at it and we said, look, the problem comes when we make someone or something else number one. Jesus here is saying, look, if you want to know what is most important, the most important thing is to make God your one. Not just a part-time one, not when it's convenient or easy, but to pursue God, to seek God with everything. Now, if we want to go even deeper, this is what's really interesting, is Jesus wasn't just pulling this out of thin air. Uh, the Jewish man, as soon as he said this, would have known what he was talking about. And what he's talking about is referred to as the Shema. Now, the Shema is this prayer of, of uh, the Jews that they would recite every time. It's in every prayer book. It's one of the most important things they recite. Uh, Jewish kids, this will be the, the first prayer that they learn and memorize. It's found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it says this, here, that's the word Shema, that's where they get the name of it. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The writer of this is saying, look, this is the most important thing you will hear me say. It is so important. You should always be talking about it. You should always be thinking about it. Not only that, but you should bind them on your forehead and you should bind them on your arms. And so, Jewish men specifically, here's a picture, they do it. They, they have these little boxes, and in these boxes, they will write these scriptures, and they put it in the box, and then they wear them on their forehead, and then they wrap it around their arm. They, they take it seriously. And they say, look, this now the Jewish men who are hearing Jesus say, love the Lord your God with everything that you should seek God and that should be number one in your life. And so these men would have heard that. They would have known this idea that the Lord your God is one. And what, what Jesus ultimately is saying there is anytime anything else becomes your one, you're missing it. You're, you're missing what God intended for you. That he's the one true God, the one that we give our worship and our attention. He's the one we look to for satisfaction and meaning Nobody and nothing else. Now, now, why is this so important? This is important in a lot of different reasons, but when it comes to marriage, it is most important because if we do believe that our spouse is our one, they will be crushed. They'll be crushed. There is no way they can play this role in your life. There's no way they can be everything that you are looking for. And this is the same for anything. So anytime, so God should be one, and, and then everything else flows from that. But anytime something else becomes your one, it becomes your idol. It becomes that which you worship. And so if it's money, if you put your heart and your soul and your meaning into what you have, into what you make, well, then the moment it goes away, what happens? Or your possessions, or prestige, or success, whatever you worship and you elevate to one, it will not withstand the weight of what you're hoping it, it does for you. It just can't, it can't do it. And not only can it not do it, but it is unfair. It, it is unfair, man. It is unfair to do this to your wife. Wives, this is unfair to do this to your husband. It is unrealistic. It's impossible. It's unfair. It's unbearable. So Jesus says in life, not just in marriage, but in life, the most important thing you do is to make God your one. Because everything else makes really crappy gods. It does. And so it's idolatry. Anytime something else takes the place of God. And so Jesus says the most important thing to do is to love him. So Jesus in this moment doesn't pick something else out. In this moment, he doesn't say to love your spouse or love your job. Nothing. He says the most important thing is to love God. So, here's what I know. If we will begin to believe this, if we'll begin to seek God, if we'll begin to make God our one, we will love our number two better. If we understand that God is one and we make our spouse, if you're married, two, we understand that we'll be able to love our spouse better because Jesus follows it up and says, look, the second is like the first. 
You love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here's how it goes. You begin to seek God and you love God. Well, then you begin to love yourself. You begin to see yourself as God sees you. So if your past has been screwed up, if you have been through a divorce, or you've just screwed up in life in many different ways, God is the one who gives us forgiveness and gives us hope and a new future. There's hope for that. And so then we begin to love ourselves. And Jesus says, when you begin to love yourself, you're then able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Anytime those get out of order, it just doesn't work. So how do we do this? More, more tangibly, how do we love God? How do we seek God with everything? Uh, in the book uh, from Craig Rochelle, and I've seen this for myself, he talks about oftentimes if we give people these long lists of things to do, it just won't work. So if I stood up here and said, here's the 10 things you need to do to seek God more this week, it'll feel overwhelming, and you really will probably just do nothing. And so, so ultimately, you have to figure out what it looks like for you. We could say be here at, at church, and that's important, and, and reading the Bible is important. Maybe you're new to church, you're new to the idea of following uh, Jesus. All this may feel overwhelming to you. But, but what if in seeking God, we, we really did one thing? And that one thing is to begin to pray. We begin to pray. Now, husbands, uh, if you're like me, this is super intimidating. Look, it doesn't even have to be a husband. It doesn't have to be a wife. Anytime you're asked to pray in public, it's one of those things where you're like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And so then to experience this intimate thing with our, our spouse or someone we're dating or our family, our kids, it's difficult. And for me, it was difficult because I never saw it. I never experienced it for myself. And so I was like, man, I know this thing I want to do. I know what I want it to look like, but I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how. And I know it's intimidating. Let me give you just real quickly a running analogy. I love to run, and I've ran a marathon. And there's a group of people here at, at Trinity that started running. And about a, a little over a year ago, uh, they decided they wanted to run. And for them, it never would have worked if they said, man, we're doing a marathon. I know I've never ran, I can barely walk, uh, but I'm going to do a marathon. It wouldn't work. So you know what they did? They did this plan, this program called a couch to 5K. They did a couch to 5K because the makers of this knew that they had to get off the couch and actually begin to do something. And it started really slow. It just began walking. Run for a minute. And it was in those moments, I remember, because my wife was doing it. She's like, I just didn't think I could make it the minute. You, you start small, and what they had to do is they started where they were. And so, so be realistic with this. If this isn't a part of your life, don't expect to go home and say, all right, we're reading the Bible, uh, the, the whole Bible this next year together. Every day we're going to sit down, we're going to read for an hour. It won't happen. It could, but it's going to be extremely difficult. What if you begin to seek God in prayer alone first? And you each day just simply prayed that God would do something in your life that day, that you would know more of him, that you'd be able to love people better. Maybe that's how you start. Maybe you start praying at meals. Right? You just pray for your food with your family, your spouse, who you're dating, uh, your friends. You begin to recognize God's presence even there. But you start where you are. If you, I promise, if you try and do too much early, it won't work. But, but you have to start somewhere. And, and the reason, I, I, and I'm learning this as well. I'm no expert in this. 
life gets busy, you want to do things, and it gets difficult, but, but we can do this. We can do this together. And prayer leads to other things. Uh, prayer leads to more understanding. It's hard to fight. Listen, it's hard to fight with the one that you've been praying with. You're more compassionate. You're more understanding. Prayer changes things. And here's where I think we miss prayers. Often we, we see prayers and ask. God, would you do all this? Would you fix all this? But, but here's what I'm learning is prayer changes things, but ultimately what it does is it changes us. It changes us. It changes our heart. It changes how we see people. So what if you just began small? And you said, from this day forward, I'm going to seek God myself first. Every one of us can do that, no matter where you're at in life. We can seek God first. And then we begin to seek God with other people, being here, but, but also in your family. You pray for your kids, you pray for your spouse. And when we begin to do this, when we begin to seek God, I think something else happens. Uh, we're going to look at what Paul is instructing this church in Ephesus. Uh, it's in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 22. Now, this is a scripture that uh, can often be difficult. There's a couple of words in here we don't like, okay? And so let's read this and uh, work through it. Let me say this real quick. Paul is a, a guy who doesn't like Christians. I say this all the time. He doesn't like Christians. He's killing Christians. He's persecuting them. He gets radically saved. He plants churches, and then he writes them letters and then here's the interesting thing to me. Uh, he writes them what he writes because he's hearing things. He's sensing things. He's not like, oh, I'm just going to write this just to write it. He, he's hearing what's going on, and he, he understands what God's instruction is for people. And so he writes these letters specifically because he sees something happening. And my understanding of, of this would probably be that marriages maybe aren't doing well. This was a long time ago, right? So marriages aren't doing well, and so Paul's going to give some instructions. All right, so uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 28. It says, wives, submit. That's one of those words we don't care for. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, mit, should submit to their husbands in everything. My husbands, don't get too excited here. Um, I have something for you as well in a moment. And ladies, I know immediately there's this, there can be this withdrawal for lots of reasons. One, submit often makes us think of this word of like to be pushed into submission, to be forced to submit. But, but that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul, Paul's not saying you need to submit because that's what you need to do just simply do it he's not saying and if you are in this situation if you're in an abusive relationship to just take it that is not submission that's not what paul is saying if that is you talk to me talk to someone T to be a faithful christian wife doesn't mean just to take whatever is given to you so what what does it mean well well here's what's what's interesting uh, during the time of this writing women were seen as inferior they were seen as less than. Uh, they didn't have rights. They couldn't speak up for themselves. And men were seen as powerful. 
So anytime you have someone with all the power and you have someone who's inferior, oftentimes power is abused. So actually here, if you were to keep looking, uh, Paul talks about three groups of people. In each one of these, he talks about someone in power and someone not in power. And he gives this instruction to both of them. And so he gives this instruction to this group of women who are completely powerless, who they've always felt powerless. And he says, look, this is what you need to do. You need to submit to your husband. But, but the reason you do that is because then in submission, you're going to show your support for Jesus. And so what this looks like is you become a complete encourager and supporter and fan of your husband. Even when it's really, really hard. Even when you feel like they don't deserve it. I don't know if you know this, but, but words bring life. Bring, bring words that the Bible says have the power of death or life. So every time you, you speak, you either kill or you build up. So and part of this submission is to say, what, what if I supported my husband? What if I believed in my husband? What if I followed him? What, what would that look like in our relationship? Submission throughout the Bible is, is it's, I mean, it's throughout. It's everywhere. And we, we, we feel like submission is a bad thing, but, but in the, subscription, in the, the scriptures, there's this idea of, of submitting to the one who deeply loves us. And that's a full submission to God. But the reason we do that is because we know God has the best for us. That we know God cares for us deeply. So, so ladies, let me just encourage you this week to, to submit to your husband. Not to be run over, you're not a doormat, but a submission in the sense of fully supporting them. I know their power maybe has been abused. They don't uh, deserve it. They aren't nice. (laughs) Just plain and simple. Maybe your husband's just not nice. But but what would happen if you begin to speak words of life to them? You seek God and you pray for them and you submit to them. And I know it's hard, but it shouldn't be. And so now let's get to uh, to the men. Verse 25, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, ladies, you may think it's hard to submit, and I know it is, but what Paul is asking the husbands to do here is to die. Now, not to physically die, but to die to yourself. So Paul says, ladies, submit, and the one you're going to submit to is going to give himself to you. He's no longer going to care only about his own needs, but he's going to care about your needs even more. That when he makes decisions, it's going to be decisions that benefit you. That's how you submit it's much easier to submit into a loving relation, relationships, to loving leadership. That's much easier. And so for us guys, if you're married, guys, if you're dating, what, what would it look like for you to die to yourself? To not always have to be right. And I think one thing that comes from this is we begin to serve our wives. Now, again, maybe you're not married. Men, I would encourage you to be the first person who serves in all ways. In your job, in your community, 
we can set the tone as men to lead the way of servant leadership. But if you are married, what, what would that do to your wife? To not just to live it full of expectations. But as it says, Jesus comes and he serves the church by giving his life. And the church is the people. He, he gives his life to the people. And so for us as, as men, what if you did that for your wives? What if there was no doubt that you had her best interest in mind? What if there was no doubt that you were fully engaged and fully in it? That you didn't take her for granted? I think our marriages would look different. I think we could actually live out what Paul is saying, that wives would be in submission to their loving, dying husbands. And this won't just happen. The way this happens is when we seek God. The, the way this happens is when we pray and say, all right, God, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at putting my wife before myself. I believe God will begin to help you. But as we often talk about, this is your choice. This is the most difficult thing about teaching in front of a group of people. Because I know what the instruction looks like. I know in my own life I've done it well and when I haven't. But, but each one of us has to decide, well, what do I want for me? How am I going to take what I've heard and actually practically live it out? You, you have that choice to make. So will you? What will you choose today from this day forward, no matter where you are in life, if you're a teenager, if you're married for five years, if you're married for 50 years, if you've gone through a divorce, what if today you first of all chose to seek God with everything? And in seeking God, you make him your one. And you quit putting the weight on your spouse or something else to be your one. And we understand that when we seek God and we make him our one, we'll be able to love our two, our, our spouse, better. What will you choose today, ladies, to fully support your husbands? To love them well, to encourage them. And then husbands, will you choose today from this day forward to die to yourself? And in dying to yourself, you're, you're living a life for God, but then you're also living for your wife. You can save your marriage. It's not too late. It's not over. It's on life support. It's dying. It's not over. If you feel like it is, make an appointment with me. Make an appointment with a counselor. We're going to end week five with don't give up. I just want to say right now, don't give up. But be here for the next couple of weeks. It's not magic. It's not a pill you'll take. It's instruction that we apply to our lives. Pray with me. God, I'm so thankful that you're in the business of bringing dead things to life. You, you do that for us personally. You do that in relationships. But God, I'm choosing to believe you can do that in our marriages. Uh, God, I'm looking forward to hearing about marriages that are, are, are being restored, that you're saving. Would you help each one of us to commit to praying uh, for ourselves and for our spouse, for marriages that are around us? Would we begin to care deeply about marriages? Would we begin to care uh, as much about our marriage as we do about other people being married? Will you help us do that? 
God, thanks for your love and your grace that no matter what the days in the past look like, that we can choose today to begin to seek you as our number one. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Hope to see you next week. Bye.